You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. It is a real joy to have you here uh, today. Thankful for uh, God bringing all of us together on this day, uh, on this third Sunday of Advent. I want to say just one thing quickly before we get into continuing to focus on the Advent. This past Monday night, we concluded the first semester at South Wake Bible Institute. South Wake Bible Institute is somewhere between Sunday school and seminary is what we, uh, how we describe it. Uh, it meets on Monday nights currently. That's, I think, what's going to be the um, uh, schedule for this next year. We had two classes, one on discipleship that is transferable to uh, Southeastern Bible uh, Seminary, Theological Seminary, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, and so we will provide a class like that every semester. Next semester, I'm pretty sure the apologetics class is going to be transferable into Southeastern. Also, we're having a, a class on the Psalms. Um, I remember when I was in seminary, I'd just come down here as pastor. I had a couple of years left in seminary, and I, I was speaking with someone who had gone to school, and at the end of the first semester, they were saying, I quit. This is, ex this is nothing like I expected. I thought we were going to be studying the Bible. Not one of my classes is on the Bible. And I responded by saying, look, I, I've had one class on one book of the Bible. It was on Philippians. Uh, but every Sunday that I go into the pulpit, I take every class with me into the pulpit. And though I'm abs I might not say one thing that would relate to any of those classes, it is absolutely impacting the way that I preach and the quality of the message. If you want to take your study of scripture to the next level, seriously, surely it's more than you would get even on Sunday morning. Take one of these classes on Monday night this next semester. I, I want to encourage you to do it. We had five from our church <clears throat> who took the classes uh, this year and, and they would be happy to talk to you about the benefit of uh, those classes. So, that having said, let's acknowledge where we are this time of year. There are only nine days left until Christmas. Who is excited? Anybody excited? All right. There are only nine days left until Christmas. Who is exhausted? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Some of them with the same hands, but we know which ones were raised which time. The favorite time of the year can easily be the most draining time of the year, right? I mean, just how easy is it to lose focus of what's really important? Sometimes even saying, well, let's talk about the real meaning of it. It just all gets lost. We, we've heard it so many times. It just sort of gets lost. This past Thursday night, Allison and I attended Lessons in Carols Trinity Academy of Raleigh puts this on every year at Christ Baptist in Raleigh. I'd love for some of you to go next year. It's not like there's a lot of extra room. 
but it is just a spectacular evening. Uh, there were nine lessons being read from Scripture. Um, there were carols sung constantly. We're up and down. I think I lost three pounds getting up and down that night. Uh, sort of, it feels uh, like a liturgical service, but it's just beautifully presented. Many of the classes, or all of the classes of the students were participating. Uh, very beautiful and meaningful evening. I was struck by how many of the Bible passages were from Isaiah, looking forward to Jesus coming. And how many of the carols used the references from Isaiah that looked forward to the coming Christ, the Messiah. Truly, even though we never see Jesus' name in Isaiah, his presence permeates the words of the prophet as he writes. One of the primary messages in Isaiah with which God exhorts his people, we've been talking about lately, is trust me. In fact, all the promises of this Advent season are only ours when we trust God to fulfill his purposes for the kingdom and for us in Christ. We're going to be thinking about this a lot today. How we tend to think about what are God's promises to me. Let's broaden our perspective a little bit and think about God's promises for the kingdom. And what he's doing, his plan for the kingdom and how we fit in all of that. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Only come through Jesus. Jesus. Now we can get in the direction of those. We can get in the direction of hope, peace, joy, and love without Christ, apart from Christ. But in the end, all is temporary unless Jesus is in the middle of it. It's passing away. Everything is passing away. Allison talked with a good friend of hers last night who's 80 years old, she has lupus, she's in Australia. Dear sister in Christ, there is no skin left on her feet. She can't walk, it's just bone. Um, two and a half years she's been confined to bed. Her heart and her focus is on Jesus. But I'm telling you, everything good in this life is passing. And we have as much reason to be excited about Jesus' advent as the people before Jesus. We have a fuller understanding and we realize without his first advent, the second one would not be one we would want. But we have something to look forward to. Today's uh, text is Isaiah 63 and 64. And in keeping with the pattern this year, I'm going to only read a portion of these two chapters. You may think that Isaiah is pretty direct and harsh from what we've looked at this year, believe me, I've left out a lot of that. I've tried to find as often as possible the encouraging good stuff that's, that's the result of those who acknowledge their sin and look forward to uh, what God is going to do according to his promises. So after I read this morning, Isaiah 64, 1 through 8, Miss um, Allison is going to come up and she's going to call everyone who is in kindergarten through fifth grade to come up. We're going to have uh, a time for that, uh, for a children's message. So I want to encourage every one of you who will be coming to hear Miss Allison to listen carefully as we read this text so that you can see what you think. Just try to guess what she's going to talk about from this text. Now, look, fifth graders, you may be thinking about not coming. Um, 
we need you for crowd control. So there are going to be a lot of people up here. Some of those kindergartners, first graders can get pretty rowdy. Uh, so we're going to need you up here. So please reconsider if you're thinking, nah, it's not going to do it. Isaiah 64, 1 through 8. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood, and the fire causes water, water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is none who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, Oh, Yahweh, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Let's pray. Well, Father, we um, are grateful for this good word from Isaiah 64. Lord, it's a harsh word at first. But it's a word that we need. We recognize that we are in trouble if we fail to acknowledge who we are without Christ. And so, Lord, as your word is proclaimed today, may we yield ourselves to be clay in the potter's hand. And it's in the name of the one who makes it all possible, Jesus. Amen. All right, kindergarten through fifth grade, don't even sit down. Come on up here. Let's go. Let's go. Kindergarten through fifth grade. Let's go. Come on up. And if you're a fifth grader and you're still sitting in your seat, please come forward. Good morning, everyone. How is everyone today? Everyone comfortable? Got a seat? Yes? Hey, friend. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, first of all, I want to tell you, you guys did an awesome job on Wednesday night. Raise your hand if you were singing or participating last Wednesday night here in our Christmas musical. So many of you. That was such an awesome program. And I remember... Miss Keisha gave you something that night to hold in your hands. 
Does anybody remember what that was that you were holding? Yes, sir. Um, putty. Putty. Was it Play-Doh? Yeah. Putty. It was putty. Oh, cool. Now, tell me about that putty. Is that putty hard? Not hard, right? Is it really soft? How else might you describe that? Or Play-Doh. You've all used Play-Doh before, right? Okay, so how might you describe Play-Doh or putty? Could be sticky, all right. Is it really soft? Is it soft to feel? Can you kind of put your fingers in there and move it around and make it into something? Is it smooth sometimes? Is it squishy? Oh, don't you love that squishy feel when you can just squish it all together? Who's made something out of Play-Doh before? What have you made, Clara? A dog. You could make a dog out of Play-Doh. That's pretty cool. What have you made? A snake. Oh, that would be a squishy snake, wouldn't it? Awesome. And what have you made? A moon. A moon. Wow. So many things that we can make out of Play-Doh. Well, do you know that Jesus, or in the book of Isaiah, it tells us that we are like clay. Now, back in the Bible times, they didn't have Play-Doh, but they had something else. They had something called clay, and clay was kind of like that Play-Doh because it was soft, was squishy. You could make something out of it, and even today, people make things out of clay. Does anyone know what we call someone who makes something out of clay? Yes. A potter. Has anyone seen a potter at work with a piece of soft, smooth, squishy clay and then they're making it into something really beautiful like a pot or a vase? See the picture up on the screen there? So the potter's got clay there and look at the potter's hands. They're really, they're really messy, right? Because he's really working that clay. But he's making that clay into something really beautiful. So the Bible doesn't talk about Play-Doh, but it does talk about clay. Because back in Bible times, they used clay a lot. They made a lot of their vessels and their plates out of clay. You made an elephant out of Play-Doh? Or a lion? Well, you could make all kinds... Oh, I know, you guys all have such great ideas. A scooter. I would love to see a scooter made out of Play-Doh. Well, do you know, it tells us in Isaiah that God, our Father, is the potter and we are the clay. So God is making something out of our lives. Isn't that the coolest thing? So you, boys and girls, and Miss Allison here, we are the clay. And God is making something really beautiful out of our lives. I wonder why the Bible doesn't say that we are like a brick. Do you think you, if I gave you a brick, do you think you could make something out of that brick, out of that one brick? No, because it's solid. That's right. It's solid. It's not soft. It's not squishy. You can't change the shape of that brick. It's bumpy, it's hard. 
you can't change that brick, right? But you can change clay. And so there are things that God's wanting to do in each one of our lives. He is wanting to shape us and make us to be like Jesus. And that's why it says in Isaiah that he is the potter and we are the clay. So do you know, boys and girls, that everything that happens in your life, the good things and the bad things, they happen for a reason. Sometimes we don't understand why the bad things happen. Has anyone had anything bad happen to you? Maybe at school, someone's been unkind to you, or maybe you were meant to go on a vacation and then because of the snow, you couldn't go, or something happened. Can you, can you all relate to something? What's something bad that might have happened to you, Judah? And that's not a comfortable feeling, is it? That, that feels really bad, doesn't it? So what about you? Tristan. Your uncle died. That's a really sad thing, Tristan, isn't it? I'm really sorry. But do you know, boys and girls, that God works even the bad things into our lives for good? Because he's wanting to make us like Jesus. So when something bad happens to you, I wonder if you can think, you know, God has a purpose in this because he is the potter and he's taking everything in my life, whether it's good or bad, he's taking it to make me and you more and more like his son, Jesus. And do you want to be like Jesus? Yes, I sure do. So let me pray for us all as we think about Jesus as we think about God being the potter and us being the clay. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that you are our Father. And in Isaiah, it tells us that you are the potter. And you are doing a beautiful work in each one of our lives. Lord, help us as that clay to be the kind of clay that your hands can work with so that you can make us more like Jesus, because that is the desire of our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I forgot to show you the clay. I bought all these visuals and I forgot to show you. All right. Well, let me just show you the real clay. I'm not going to get it out because I got it out yesterday and my hands got so, so brown and dirty. But this is real clay. The art teacher at my school lent me this to be able to show you. And it's like that putty and it's like that Play-Doh that you can shape and mould and make into something. And this is my Play-Doh that you can squish and make into something. I hope you guys enjoyed making something out of your little piece of Play-Doh that you got the other night. Thank you, guys. You all can head on back to your seats.
survive. I, I want to ask those of you who were up here with uh, Miss Allison. And, and those of you who were up here Wednesday night. And you had some clay in your hands. Did the clay talk back to you? No. No. Did the clay say something like, hey, what are you doing to me? Yeah. Or, ouch, that hurts. Yeah. Or, who do you think you are messing with me? Did the clay say any of that? No, it did not. Do you know why? Because the clay's not alive. But even if the clay were alive, would that be its job? No, it wouldn't. The clay's job would not be to talk back to the one who's molding it into something, hopefully something beautiful. And believe me, when you are clay, sometimes you have no idea what the potter is doing because you can't see it all. All you can see is one little piece. So I want to ask a question to those of you who are seven and eight years old specifically. If you're seven and eight, answer this question. Do you want to stay the same age you are right now for the rest of your life? No. No. If you live to be 98 years old, do you want to look like you do right now? You want to be that size? <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Yes. Uh, no. The answer is no. Look, if you say yes, that means you'll never learn how to drive a car. And parents of teenagers who had never had any idea insurance could be so dear, are thinking that's a good thing, maybe. <laughs> you would never go to college. You would never get a stage of never get married. Okay, marriage might not be a selling point at this uh, stage of your life, but all of you want to grow up. I know that you do. And guess what? Your parents want to grow up as well. They want to grow, not in the same way that you are. We quit growing up and start growing out for some, for, from, from, from one point of view. But another point, we're always learning to be more like Jesus. When we're learning to be more like Jesus, we're finding out things about ourselves that we don't really like about ourselves. And we're all needing to grow. We all want to look like that beautiful piece of pottery that we see up on the screen. But we don't always like, like what the Creator is doing to mold us into someone who will look more like Jesus. In Isaiah 64, uh, 1 and 2, Isaiah is praying on behalf of God's people. And he's asking the Lord to reveal himself to the world and to let everyone know that Israel belongs to God. You felt like that sometimes, haven't you? You felt like praying, Lord, I just want people to know that you are my God and that you love me and that you're going to take care of me. Sometimes you might want God to warn those who mock you because you were a Christian. That is certainly a natural response. But we'll learn this morning that our default response to those who oppose the gospel should be gentleness. Not an easy response, but it ought to be our default response. In verse 3, Isaiah acknowledges that when God acts in mighty ways, it is often unexpected. God often moves when all seems helpless. When the, when the children of Israel were right up against the Red Sea, 
And the Egyptian army was behind them, and the Egyptian army could cut them off every direction. It seemed hopeless. It seemed like, we're in a mess. We can't get out of this. They're going to take us back to slavery. What happened? God opened the Red Sea. Nobody expected him to do that, but he did. At Jericho, these big walls were defending the people, and they were probably up there saying, you guys look really silly walking around praising the Lord. You guys look silly singing out there. Nobody expected the wall to come down, but God did it. When we were lost in our sins and headed for an eternity apart from God, no one expected Jesus to die on the cross to take our punishment so that we might have eternal life. Yet he did. No wonder verse tells us that we have no idea of the beautiful things that God has prepared for us. Does this first remind you of a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 or 1 Corinthians chapter 2? I has not seen nor ear heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him, but the Spirit has made it known. Verse 5 reminds us that God has brought deep joy into our lives. And then when we take Isaiah 64 in conjunction with the rest of Isaiah, as we must, we know that this joy is because of Jesus. Jesus was the Messiah that God promised his people who would come to be born on earth. Think of all the joy that was associated with Jesus' birth and with his life. There was a great deal of Joy and happiness all around. Lots of people were singing. The angels, the parents were happy. The, the kings who came. Uh, the prophet and prophetess in the, in, in the temple. Everyone was excited about Jesus being born. But even then they said there are some bad, bad days that are coming. Some bad things are going to happen. And the great joys of Jesus' life. Obeying his father's will and seeing joy in those that he came to serve. All of those things were going to take a big hit at the crucifixion, but Jesus knew and told them, you're going to be sad beyond anything you can imagine, but then you're going to be joyful beyond anything you have ever experienced in your life because I will rise from the dead. It is with this understanding that we joyfully give thanks to the Father for his unspeakable gift. You ever think about that phrase from 2 Corinthians 8? Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. It may be 2 Corinthians 9. It is with great anticipation that we look for him to return and to reign as king. Notice in verse 5 also, though, that Jesus will make all things right despite our sin. God has no choice but to be angry with sin. He has no choice. He has to be. How bad is our sin? Verse 6. Even our best works are as filthy rags. And that ought to be enough for God to walk away from us and abandon us forever. In fact, if the Lord did not prevent it, Sin would blow us away. Our own sin would blow us away. Just like, you know, how you have a hat 
on a windy day. And you think you've got it on there pretty tight, but all of a sudden a gust comes along and that hat is gone. And if you're moving this way in a hard direction or you've got to get somewhere really quickly and that hat's going that way fast, it's a long way back to get it. Well, it blows. It's, imagine you're in a car and you stick your head out the window with a hat on. What's going to happen? Bye-bye to the hat, right? But God does catch us. And he rescues us from ruin. Through Christ's death on the cross. In our place. Him taking our place. As punishment for our sin. We now know this in these New Testament days. So the comfort we long for is provided in the best possible way. Verse 8. <coughs> you are our father. In spite of our sin, despite our sin, he has become our father through Jesus. And what is the proper response to such a kind and loving father? Ultimate trust. We're to be like clay in the potter's hand. And even when life doesn't make sense. We're called to trust that God is working his full and final plan, which is so much more magnificent than the plan that he has for just one person and just for you. If you only see your life in terms of what about me? Then you'll never realize that God is designing a larger masterpiece that far exceeds individual efforts. So. And what we, we've been at least part way down this path recently. I want to ask a few questions just to see if the culture is in tune with biblical truth. Um, <clears throat> here's one that we've thought about recently. You deserve fill in the blank. You deserve a comfortable sofa. A much better car than you are currently driving. A cute boyfriend. The best video games available. No. We deserve the wrath of God. So much so that clay should not seek to inform the potter what it deserves. Nor should it say to the rest of the clay, hey, you over there, you deserve better. Here's another one. Follow your heart. Really? If my absolute best deeds are as polluted garments, then this is not good advice. We absolutely should teach our children to be passionate about things and, and to follow those passions. But they should recognize that God puts the right desires in our hearts. And he sometimes puts us in places where we have to recall who is ultimately in charge. I see it over and over and over. Someone has a dream and God seems to be pushing them in a particular direction, and then he kills that dream. He just, just takes, takes their feet out from under them. And then he rebuilds the very thing that they were thinking was going to happen. But it's so much better because now he's in charge rather than them being in charge. And one of the things that God is doing when he shuts down our dreams or appears to shut, shut down our, our dream for the moment. He's reminding us 
Who has the wisdom and the care to be perfectly in control of our lives? Not to mention who has the holiness and who is the creator. In other words, there is a God and it is not me. I am clay. I, I don't even get to say, got to think, if you'll think about this, here's the way you should use me. Here's the way you should cause my life to go because then I can really do something great for you. Now we get to pray and ask him anything. We're going to see that in a little bit later. We're going to end up in Philippians this morning. And it's a great delight for the Lord to have his children come to him and ask him to do things in their lives. And he delights in answering our, but ultimately he is the potter. We are the clay. One last bit of cultural wisdom we should question. Follow your dreams. Again, please do not think I seek to stifle initiative or promote a passive lifestyle. I am not just the opposite, in fact. I'm excited for you. I'm always excited. One of the, the things that God has just allowed me to do, and I, I, I'm so blessed to do this, is to see potential in someone early in a, at an early stage of his or her life and encourage him or her in that direction. I love being able to do that. I love being excited about what God is doing through you. But when you say follow your dreams and those dreams are in no way connected with God's word, then trouble is going to happen. When you have the sense that God wants nothing more than for you to follow your dreams, what happens when your dreams are crushed? You're likely to blame God for crushing your dreams. Guess who did that? The Israelites, all the way through Isaiah. It's like they're constantly blaming him and God saying, really, we're going to go through that again? After who you are apart from me? You're blaming me? Far better to live passionately in your pursuit of God and of his kingdom, giving all glory and praise to Jesus who calls you to follow him and to trust the Father's plan for your life, even when it goes awry. Now, let me just read that last sentence again. But don't hear it like, eh, 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 because that's what's supposed to be. That's what's coming. We know it's all coming. Think about it. Far better to live passionately in your pursuit of God and of his kingdom, giving all glory and praise to Jesus who calls you to follow him and to trust the Father's plan for your life, even when it goes awry. What has gone really wonky in your life this past week? What has completely thrown you off track somewhere this past year? What is it that's keeping you from accomplishing the very thing that you felt like God wanted you to accomplish? Is it possible that he has a hand in that? 
Is it possible that he wants you to come to him with gratitude and even with joy? Allison was talking to her friend Denise last night. Just a, a woman whose heart has joy even though her body has been in constant pain for two and a half years. She has not had a moment's respite from pain. For two and a half years. Our focus this morning is joy. Our Advent focus. The only way to experience true joy. And not momentary happiness. Is to trust God. When our hope is in our dreams. Or in following our hearts. Or in getting what we deserve. We inevitably feel at some point. That God has betrayed us. And is hindering our happiness. In fact, God does hinder our happiness so that we might experience true joy. How can we be joyful when life is anything but wonderful? When we acknowledge the Father's right to be the potter and submit to Him as the clay that is different from ours and often when we at least, least expect Him to do something he does it in magnificent ways. Just like he did for the people of Israel. Not everything goes the way that we desire. Some people never get away from that pain and suffering. Denise, Allison's friend, is probably never going to experience a day without pain, without intense pain for the rest of her life. But there's coming a day when all of us, not just Denise, will see and hear and taste and sing and experience God's goodness in ways that are presently incomprehensible. Jesus came in the fullness of time at his first advent. And he will also come at the perfect time for his second advent. And in the meantime, we are called and privileged and blessed to trust God's loving heart. And his masterful plan, not only in our lives, but we are called to trust his plan for his glory and for the kingdom. Look, many of us talk about wanting to be something bigger than ourselves. That's what the kingdom of God is. And if you, for whatever reason, don't appreciate the place that you have in God's design or plan, if you trust him, you just wait until the kingdom is fully re revealed. You will then praise God for his wisdom and his mercy and grace. And by the way, you are going to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's going to come a day where you're going to say, Oh, God, I thank you so much. God is going to get his glory. But what a privilege it is for us to participate in his glory. What a privilege it is for us right now in this life when it goes badly for us to praise him. And trust Him. And glorify Him. And allow Him to do whatever He wants to do with us. Wouldn't it be great if we just do it right now? You know what would happen? The hope that we have in Christ would really come alive in our hearts. We would have a peace that passes understanding. We would have joy that no one can describe. And we would love people like Jesus loves them. 
We're going to end our time this morning in Philippians 4. If I were to ask you what the prominent theme of Philippians is, I imagine many of you would say joy. And while some could make a, a good case for saying that the theme of Philippians is partnership in the gospel, you can't go very far in Philippians, can you, without <clears throat> seeing the word joy in one form or another. <clears throat> Look at these verses, Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. <clears throat> Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. By the way, just I was thinking about this as I was going through these verses in Philippians 4.4. 4. The Lord is at hand. Does that mean that the Lord is near us at all times? Or does that mean his return is at hand? It was the first time in my life that I saw in Scripture how often, this many years ago, how often the answer is yes. It's, scripture is so much greater than, than we may want to make it to be or than, than we think it is. God's desire for us is to rejoice knowing that he is close by and knowing that his return is near. So chapter 4 is the last chapter of Philippians. Throughout this book, the Apostle Paul has talked about suffering and even the joy that is found in suffering. Why? How can that be? Because suffering brings us into intimate communion with Jesus, who willingly suffered more than anyone has ever suffered in the world. Jesus came to the earth. He suffered in our place. And when we believe him, we have cause to rejoice no matter what else happens. Again, if our focus is on this life, this world, my circumstances, we're not going to have cause for joy or it's going to be temporary. But when we know we belong to him, there is a joy that supersedes anything going on in our lives. The Apostle Paul, in fact, was under house arrest when he wrote Philippians. In verse 5, Paul encouraged all believers to give testimony to God's reality and love by responding to everyone with gentleness. Specifically, he's calling the believers at Philippi to be gentle with those who oppose the gospel. That's why our focus must be trust. When Miss Allison said, tell me something bad that's happened at school, I was thinking, oh boy, here we go, here we go. Uh, if I had not been so busy panicking, I would have prayed, Lord, please, you know, be careful here. Let this be a... A good thing because a lot of bad things happen, don't they? A lot of bad things happen to a lot of us. And Judah was talking about, I believe it was Judah, someone was going to push me down. You feel that as believers, don't you? Somebody's trying to push you down. Even if it's in the family, they're making fun of you. They're like, come on, don't be such a fanatic. You cannot walk closely with Christ and not be considered a fanatic, especially by unbelievers in your family. They're going to think you're nuts. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> Paul says to be gentle in your response. That's not easy. Verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, Linda used to say this a lot. She would say, the peace of God that doesn't make sense. And that's exactly what he's saying. It's a peace of God that just doesn't make sense. How can you have peace in this circumstance? <laughs> because of the mercy and grace of God. Even your faith is a mercy and grace of God. But as Chris was saying earlier, everything about that Advent candle was purposeful. Every sentence, it was really exceptionally well-crafted and done, as all of you are when you come up here. He was talking about we choose to have joy, and there's truth in that. We choose to look to the one who can give us peace that doesn't make sense. We don't work up the peace or the joy, but we look to the one who gives true peace and true joy. So do you see the connection with clay and the potter's hand? And while we are not allowed to rebel against the potter, we are always encouraged to seek the Lord. But here's the key, with thankful and trusting hearts. Hope, peace, joy, and love. The themes of Advent are all found in the one we worship and adore this season. Anne Voskamp has written, Joy is a function of gratitude, and gratitude is a function of perspective. You only begin to change your life when you begin to change the way you see. That's that active part on our, in our responsibility. The clay is not just supposed to be like this, you know, but it's looking to the one who is doing the molding. Let's read that again. Joy is a function of gratitude. Anybody that you know that is joyful is also a grateful person. You can't have joy without gratitude. To God for all of the beautiful things that he does. You only, and gratitude is a function of perspective. You only begin to change your life when you begin to change the way that you see. How can we change the way that we see? By trusting God. And if we need to say, I believe, help my unbelief, that is a beautiful prayer. God, help me. To trust you. I know that even faith comes from you. Fill my heart with trust. He is the one who will change our hearts and give us new vision. And so Lord, give us eyes that trust. Give us eyes to see your glory. And give us hearts to trust your purpose. In our lives and in the kingdom in the far bigger picture than just what's going on right here, right now in my life. Let's pray. Or I should say, let's continue in our prayer. Father, we are indeed grateful for the beautiful truth that we have heard today. Lord, we could have prayed and gone home after Allison had completed the beautiful truth of how we are 
even as adults, especially as adults, clay in the potter's hand. In some ways, as parents, we are that potter shaping and forming and molding our children. But the thing we're trying to do is to shape and to mold them into clay that is going to be looking constantly to the Lord. As your dear and blessed and gracious servant, Irenaeus of the second century said, make it so that we do not harden and lose our shape, but that we would retain our moisture so that the imprint of his hands and his fingers would be very clear in our lives. Make us more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.